Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Tonight's scripture reading will be uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understand the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Good evening. Good to see everybody here tonight. Glad you're able to be with us in this uh, Sunday evening worship service tonight. No better place to be in the world. We are continuing our Sunday evening theme and series by the book. And uh, that back screen is not on on the wall. If you could turn that on, I would appreciate it. But uh, it's not on presently. But we're on by the book. And uh, our, our theme is First and Second Corinthians. And we're taking our readings from First and Second Corinthians and, and uh, going through the text there week by week, verse by verse, going through these whole letters. And so tonight our text, as read from the scripture reading, thanks for that, by the way, brothers. Appreciate your assistance. You, you guys rock. You're awesome at what you do. All you out in internet land, there's a handful of brothers here that are to be thanked for you being able to tune in these worship services, and they are great. All right, there I said it. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, that is our text. Let's read it together from the ESV. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. All right, let's take this text apart piece by piece and unpack it. First of all, this phrase, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. First of all, you see there on the screen, C1544, same letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 1544, we will see the same word. It is pasukikos. And this word pasukikos is often translated, especially in 1 Corinthians, as natural, the natural person here. 1 Corinthians 15, 44 says the natural person or the natural man. In both cases, the Greek word is pasukikos, which I know you all use the word pasukikos every day and know exactly what that means. But you can see maybe, you might think it was an accident, but it was not. I only underlined a part of that word because I want you to look at P-S-U-C-H. I, which is only one letter different from P-S-U-C-H-E, Pasuke. Uh, we say today Pasuke Logia, right? Pasuke, you mean psychology. Yeah, Pasuke Logia, the word about the soul. Psychology is the word about the soul. The Greek word Pasuke is the word for soul here. 
And, and so pasukikos means uh, that, that is by the power of or the quality of soul. And so the natural person is the person that is living the soulful life. The life that is characterized by the nature of, the power of, the quality of the soul. Now, here we go. We read the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, that God, or chapter 2 rather, that God breathed into Adam's nostrils and he became the breath of life and he became a living soul. When we see this word pasukikos in the New Testament, we're talking about someone who is living based upon the power of their own flesh. In other words, they as a living soul are guiding and directing their own lives according to their own terms, according to their own rules, or we might rather say according to the rules of the world. That's what this word means. And we need to understand what Paul is saying in this context. And so the natural person, the person who's living according to the worldview of the world, the person that is living according to the mindset of the world that is outside of Christ, the person who is living according to their own wisdom or the wisdom of their particular chosen sect of unbelievers in the world. That's who Paul is talking about. That person does not accept, note that phrase, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because he thinks they're foolish. He thinks they're silly. All these believers in Jesus, all these Bible thumpers out there wasting their lives trying to please, you know, the big fella in the sky, they think that's silly and it doesn't make sense. Okay, that's fine. But there's something more important that I want to talk about here about Paul's statement. And that is not our position toward those outside of Christ. I already said in last week's text that precedes this one, of course, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that there is no wisdom outside of Christianity. We know that to be the case, and I'm not making any bones about it. And anybody that listens to the sermon and thinks that they're wise, listen, there's no wisdom outside of Jesus because wisdom is the ability to make decisions that enable you to choose the path that leads to success. And if your path in life, just as we're teaching these little kids every Sunday night, if your path in life does not lead to glory in, in heaven, it is an unsuccessful path. Amen. The only pathway that leads to success in heaven is through Jesus Christ. And therefore, there is no wisdom outside of him. So we know that the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. We're well aware that folks out in the world don't think that the biblical life is the best life. They're wrong. We know they're wrong. You know, Paul, that's not really what Paul is getting down on in this passage. But, but there is within Christendom, not just out there in the unbelieving world, but within Christendom, there are a lot of folks that misunderstand this passage. This is one of the foundations of what we might call Calvinism, which you all know I'm not a Calvinist, and I'm not trying to be hard on, on Calvinists or to be mean to them, uh, but Calvinists have a couple of positions that they, that, that they teach and, and believe and practice, and one of them is based upon a misunderstanding of this passage. They believe that the passage is saying that nobody of any age or of any generation can understand the Bible until the Holy Spirit in, unlocks something in their minds, right? Until the Holy Spirit unlocks something in their minds, they're not capable of understanding the written Word of God. And I want you to know that that interpretation could not be farther from the truth of what the Apostle Paul is trying to say here. Amen. We've got to understand this passage in its context, 
And I realize breaking down these little sections week after week, it's all about time. I'd be happy to preach for six hours through the whole book of 1 Corinthians if you'd like me to. Just let me know. We can discuss that. But because of the sake of time, we're taking these little sections that can lend itself to maybe you not having been here the previous week or maybe you just have been, you know, your mind has been occupied and you've forgotten. But I want to urge you each week as we go through the letters that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, think about what came before. And understand one thing thoroughly, clearly. In Paul's letters, he always starts off with something that introduces the direction that he's going to go. Everything follows from what he starts, and each thing builds upon, builds upon what he just said. No exceptions to that rule. All the way through his letters, they are well organized. One thought building up to the next thought, building up to the next thought, and so on. So, who's Paul been talking about in this context? He's been talking to the church at Corinth about folks in their world that were influencing them who were all caught up with the Jewish teachings about how to interpret Scripture and understand Scripture and seeking after signs and always looking for some kind of miraculous confirmation of the Word of God that's being delivered to you. And, and Paul, in essence, implies in this context they've gotten all the signs they're going to get. All right, so if you've got this approach to the faith, today we would say those in the Pentecostal world, and again, I'm not trying to be mean or hard on them, but there are people that are always looking for some sign from God. Lord, would you please confirm the direction you're giving me? That's not what this passage is talking about at all. Paul in this context has said that's not the way New Testament Christianity works. All right? But it's not just about the Jews. He's talked about the Greeks who all seek after wisdom. They seek after wisdom based upon man's ability to discern truth, based upon the, the logical power of the human being to find his way through this world and through this life and to make wise decisions. And there, there's no doubt that the ancient Greek philosophers were wise in, in a lot of ways. But the wisest of them, perhaps Socrates, you could debate that if you want, but the fountainhead of Greek philosophy as we know it, Socrates, the wisest of them, his wisdom did not lead him to Jehovah God. Are you listening to me? For all that he knew and understood about life, and you should read Socrates as I have, good stuff there. But for all of his wisdom, it only brought him to a place where he was seeking a better understanding of God. It never got him there. And in his world and in his life, this was before Christ, he had Jewish neighbors that could have introduced him to the true and living God. He didn't find them. Human wisdom won't lead you there. Why? Because what do these philosophers know? Same thing the scientists know. Things they can observe. That's that. That's the end of it. Unless you can figure out how to get a bus up to go into heaven and sit in God's throne room and observe things on the other side in the spirit world. There, you know, talk to God and ask him questions about, unless you've got the ability to get a group together to go up to heaven and get a message straight from God, you don't know God or what he wants. You following? This is the point that Paul is making in this context. All right? Please follow the line of reasoning this evening as closely as you can. And I hope you will see that this very difficult passage makes perfect sense in its context. All right? It has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit miraculously unlocking something in your mind to enable you to understand and believe the Word. The Word is written to produce faith. 
It's written to produce faith, Romans 10 and verse 17. The Holy Spirit has already made the Word such that it is capable of interacting with the human mind, with the human reason, and producing faith in those who will listen to it with an open heart. And if there's something the Holy Spirit had to unlock to enable human beings to do that, He unlocked it in creation. And it is a universal condition of humanity that we are already ready to learn from the Word of God if we will but open our minds to do so. It takes no additional miracle to do that. It's not what Paul is talking about in this context at all. And so when he's talking about the natural person and uh, the fact that they regard the, the communication of the gospel as folly, he is specifically talking about these folks that follow Greek philosophy, the worldly wise, people who are following the world system of wisdom. That's who he's talking about in this context, and that's what this passage is about. It's not about people that want to follow Jesus but can't figure out how to do it because the words on the page are all jumbled up and they can't understand them until the Holy Spirit gives a miracle. That's not at all what's going on in this context, all right? And so, we're going to look at that phrase, not able there, in its context, and recognize that it is parallel to, does not accept. You see that? If you say, I can't, can you? If you say, I can't, you're right. Because ultimately, you're putting a roadblock in your own way. The only person that can remove a roadblock you put in your way is you. Right? And so if you build a chasm between you and God, if you build up a worldview full of all kinds of so-called wisdom that, that puts distance between you and God, the only way that that distance is going to be decreased or traversed or crossed over is if you let go of your so-called worldly wisdom that is keeping you separated from your God. Now Paul says that they are spiritually discerned, and what he's talking about here is ultimately a biblical worldview. Now, for the rest of our look at this text, I want you to realize that what you've got to do is look at pronouns when Paul writes his letters. You've got to pay attention to the pronouns because Paul will introduce the letter, and we often forget that they're letters. And by forgetting that these are letters, it's not a book, it's, it's a letter, okay? We call them the books of the Bible, and that's fine. But 1 Corinthians is, is a letter, it's a letter Paul wrote to the church there. And in order to interpret it properly, we've got to remember that. It's a letter, and it functions based upon the same rules that letters have always functioned on. And so the Apostle Paul introduces his letters by telling the folks who is writing to them. Him and his apostolic companions, the evangelists and the prophets who were with him, part of his missionary team who were establishing the churches, people that the folks he's writing to know. And then he will begin to use the word we. I and we throughout the letter. Who's he talking about? Well, what folks tend to do in our world today is they, 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 they recognize this letter is written to the church, first of all to that church, but secondarily to us. And when they see the word we, they think, oh, we, us, we, right? We together, the church. Not unless the context determines that's true. He's talking about himself and his associates. That's the we. He uses the word you, oftentimes in plural, I wish our modern English Bibles would use the proper terminology for the plural you, and that's y'all, because he uses the word y'all in Greek a lot, okay? Now, the things that Paul says about himself and his, his apostolic companions, the prophets and those with supernatural miraculous gifts, by way of the end result of their work, does speak about us. 
but you cannot put the cart before the horse. You've got to go through the steps of interpretation to see what Paul is saying about who he's saying about and get that right before you start making application to yourself and to the church today. That's a problem with interpreting this passage in particular. All right? So, uh, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Here's this question here. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so has to instruct him? Now, that's a quotation, Old Testament quotation, but it's used in this context in order to make the point that I've already been trying to allude to. And that is that these Greek philosophers don't know anything because they haven't heard from God. Does that make sense? The Jewish teachers trying to Judaize the early church, they don't know anything because they haven't heard from God. Does that make sense? The apostles know everything because they've heard from God. Does that make sense? And I don't mean the Apostle Paul himself literally knew everything. That's not the point I'm making. But the point I'm making is when the Apostle Paul communicated truth, it's because he heard from God. And his truth is truth. His words are right. Does that make sense? That's the point of this context. It's the whole point of this context. It's the meaning of this text. And if we understand it, we'll be able to apply it to our lives. You see the word we? That's who he's talking about. Paul had the mind of Christ. How? Because the previous context, we, again, he said, now we have received not the spirit who is from the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might know the things freely given to us by God. Now, is that true of me? Yes, because it was true of Paul, and only because it was true of Paul. Is it true of you? Absolutely, it is true of you. If you study and learn the writings of Paul, and of Peter, and of James, and of John, of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and all of the prophets that came before. Yes, you can have the mind of Christ. You can know what's right. You can know what's true. You can live your life according to what is absolutely rock-solid truth if, if you listen to and learn from those that had a word from Almighty God. We sang just a moment ago, Lord, we know not how to go unless a blessing you bestow. And I think the line of that song, I just it stuck with me because I knew what I was about to preach. It just really does. I'm losing my microphone and my mind and all that other stuff too. But it really does. All right, there we go. It, it really does apply to what we're talking about here. Because what do you know, brother? What do you know, sister? What do I know? I don't know anything except what God has revealed to me. And the only way God reveals it is through his inspired word, period. Amen. Absolutely, period. Amen. And so, let's look at just, uh, um, let's move on to the next slide and look at, at the fact of what Paul means by this statement. We have the mind of Christ. Brothers and sisters, just simply put in this way, it is not possible to know what is true. It is not possible to know what is good. It is not possible to know what is right from what is fake or what is evil or what is wrong until God reveals it. Is there any consensus in the world at all? 
What do the worldly wise today say? What do the modern counterparts of the ancient unbelieving Jews and the ancient Greek and Roman philosophers, what do they say about life in the world today? Is there consistency across the board? Can, can you find a wise man from Washington, D.C., one from New York City, maybe one from Dallas, Texas, one from out in San Francisco? Find a wise man from Japan that knows Japan's wisdom. What about a fellow from China, India? What about Egypt? What about Sudan? Just get all these guys together from everywhere in the world that are the wise men, the worldly wise of our generation, and sit them in a room and ask them the big questions of life. They going to agree? No, they're not. Not about much. Do you know why that is? Because they don't have the first clue about what they're doing. And I'm not, again, I hope that you're here. I don't say it out of arrogance. I don't say it out of meanness. I say it because all they know is what they've heard from other people who know nothing other than what they've seen. They know what can maybe be discerned by a, an open-minded and intelligent human being in 70 or 80 years of life. And maybe they've learned from other people that live 70, 80 years of life. And, and so you're going to find nuggets here and there of truth in what they say. You're going to find that they're all right about something, but none of them are right about it all. And none of them can agree about what really is important in life. None of them can, can agree about the answers to the great questions in life. Uh, you know, people continue to ask generation after generation, what is the meaning of life? And those of us who are Bible believers have never had to worry about that question. We haven't had to worry about that question for 2,000 years. I know exactly what the meaning of life is. There's no mystery to that. It's been made clear and it's been revealed. I want us to look at four passages. I'm going to move through these quickly. But first of all, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Maybe you'll catch where I'm going here. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Listen to what the Word of God has to say. Examine yourselves. As to whether you are in the faith, test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified or fail to pass the test, depending on your version? About Galatians 6, verse 4. Listen to Galatians 6, verse 4. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 21. Listen to what the Word of God says here. Test all things hold fast to what is good what about finally read from the book of first john chapter 4 verse 1 beloved do not believe every spirit but test the spirits whether they are of god because many false prophets have gone out into the world i have really a one word question for you h o w how how are you going to test all things Hold fast to that which is good. How are you going to do that? How are you going to test the spirits to see whether they're from God and thus avoid being, being preyed upon by a false prophet, many of whom have gone out into the world and are still in the world today? How are you going to do that? How are you going to look at the work that you've been doing in your life for the Lord and, and test it to see whether or not it's good and solid and sound and fruitful work? What is the standard that you're going to use to test that by? Brothers and sisters, you can't do that based upon mere human wisdom. You can't do that just based upon your experience in life. Let me tell you, those of you in this room that are over 80 years old can't do that 
based upon your experience in life. And, and, and by the way, I would go ahead and say, those of you that are 80 years old or over, you know that better than the rest of us do, right? So those that are teenagers, in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, man, if we got to somehow figure out how to test all things and hold fast, that which is good, based upon our limited experiences of a limited place, of a limited environment, in a limited life, it's impossible. Oh, but you know, these commandments are not vain because the whole process of giving these commandments has given us the means by which we will test ourselves. I have been empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to obey all four of those passages. I have been inspired, I have been, never not inspired, but I have been prepared by the Holy Spirit of God because of what has been inspired. And if I want to test all things so that I can hold fast, which is good, I'll tell you exactly what I can do. I can look in the Bible from Genesis to the book of Revelation. And if I don't find it there, I know it's not good. If I don't find it there, I know it's not right. End of the story. My work that I'm doing for the Lord, how do I know if it's good and pleasing to God? I mean, wishful thinking, just hoping, just praying that God is going to be a merciful God because I don't know what I'm doing or how to do what I'm supposed to do. No, I got it right here, brothers and sisters, the 66 books of the Bible. This is the product of men, holy men, as Peter says, who did not write their own interpretations of truth or reality. They were moved by the Holy Spirit of God. That's where the 66 books of the Bible come from. The we Paul is talking about are the writers of these 66 books. It applies to me only if I read and study the 66 books. Only then will you know right from wrong and know that you know it. Only then will you know the truth and to be able to discern it and, and, and to separate it from error. Only then will you know good from evil and to be able to direct your path through a life of following Jesus. And by the way, this whole context in the first three and the first portion of the fourth chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians is ultimately about division. It's ultimately about how badly division among the people of Christ hurts the work Amen. of saving souls. That's what it's about. And what Paul is saying is that division comes from disagreement. That's his point. Division comes from disagreement, which points to an authority problem. It points to an authority problem. And that's Paul's point in this text. There is authority in religious matters. The Holy Spirit has given us that authority. It is His Word. Book, chapter, and verse. This is the written down record of the mind of Christ with regard to every subject that matters in this life or in eternity. That's the message of this context in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And the lesson is yours. This evening, if you need to respond to the gospel invitation, as a baptized believer, you feel you need the prayers of this church, nothing would honor us more than to lift those prayers to heaven in your behalf. 
And this evening, if you are not yet a disciple of Christ, I want you to listen, please listen. Not because I said it, because the Word of God teaches it. If you are outside of Christ, you know nothing and you have no hope in this world. You are without God. There is one Savior, Jesus. There is one wisdom, His way. There is two destinations and only one way to get to the right one, man. It is through the waters of baptism, baptizing of the death of Christ. And so if you're here this evening and you are of an age of accountability, you know you sin and fall short of the glory of God. You know that you've got moral weaknesses in your life. You know that you've failed in so many ways. Don't think that you're going to be able to build a monument of good works to yourself that somehow on judgment day you're going to stand before the seat of Christ and he's going to say, well, I can't deny that you've done an awful lot of good, so all those sins we're just going to brush under the rug. It will not work that way. It will not work that way. You will be either in Christ and your sins will have been nailed to the cross and there'll be nothing evil to say about you at all. And the Lord will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Where are your accusers? Just like in John 8. He said to the woman caught in the act of adultery. Or you're outside of Christ. And it doesn't matter if you have a monument of good works built up the size of Mount Everest. If there is a grain of sand of sin in that mountain, you're damned. And that's the truth. Do you understand it? If you're not a Christian tonight, come forward and become one. Your subject invitation comes. We stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.